Hello, and welcome to the Expat Cast. I'm your host, Nicole Palazzo, and today I sit down with Dane. Dane is a Wisconsinite who is here in Freiburg, Germany, as a Fulbright scholar. I was really excited to talk to him because, you know, I'd, I'd heard a lot about Fulbright. I'd done some research into it. I'd even looked into applying myself, um, yet I still had no clear clue what the heck it was, because every time I heard of it, it was some totally different program. So luckily, Dane was able to uh, field all of my questions and then some and clear it up for me, you know, what the different paths within Fulbright are. Um, He is here as an English teaching assistant. He talks us through what the application process was like for that, what the, the, you know, the ratio is for applicants to acceptance. Um, Then we talk a lot about what it's been like doing the thing. He'd been here about six months as of the time of the recording, and we actually, at that point, were both teaching English as a foreign language to middle schoolers. It was really cool to hear about, you know, what his classroom experience has been like compared to mine, Um, because, you know, you're not just sharing the language, you're sharing American culture with these students, too, and I think you guys will be really fascinated to hear the kind of things that they've been interested in talking about. And then finally, we talk about lifestyle. So how is it living here as a scholar? How is your your work-life balance? How is the pay? How demanding is the work? All of those questions and more. As I said, we recorded this about halfway into Dane's year here. And as of, in fact, the day of this episode's release is Dane's last day in Freiburg. So I can think of no better way to honor him and his time here than sharing with you all his experience, how he got here to this point today. And at the end, I'll give you a quick update on what's next for him. So let's go ahead and meet Dane. Hi, my name is Dane DeVetter. I'm from La Crescent, Minnesota, most recently Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and then now uh, English teaching assistant with Fulbright here in Freiburg. Okay, so I have a couple questions that are probably intermixed, but how did it end up being Freiburg? How'd you get to Freiburg? And then probably that also deeply ties into Fulbright. So if you want to go ahead and walk us through how, how that came into your life and how that became your decision. I went to college at University of Wisconsin-Madison. I'll start there. That's where I was studying German and meeting a lot of other students studying German and met uh, some of my best friends and a couple of whom studied abroad for a year here in Freiburg. So that's where I started hearing about Freiburg and that's where I found out that Madison, Wisconsin and Freiburg are sister cities. And so uh, visiting Freiburg was always in the back of my mind. In 2012, I came to Germany with my mom and my brother. And this was the first time that I had spent really any time in Germany, more than a layover. And as someone who studied German uh, from the time I was 12 until getting into college uh, and a little bit in college, I was super excited to be there. And we planned to spend a couple of days in Freiburg and finally get to see the city that I had heard lots of good things about. Had an amazing visit uh, just for a few days in 2012 and kind of had it on the back of my mind that it would be great to come back to Germany, especially if I had the chance to go to Freiburg. And so I just kind of kept that in the back of my mind. Right after um, that trip, I started working with AmeriCorps. A couple of years went by. I ended up going back to school for graduate school at Marquette University. And I met a professor there at a short conference 
that was about immigration and refugees, specifically in Europe. This professor of German gave a poetry recitation of five or six different poems uh, written by or from the perspective of refugees. And I remember being really moved by the recitation and, and the discussion that he held alongside those poems. And I went up and introduced myself to him at the kind of meet and greet afterwards and told him about my interests, that I studied German, am interested in uh, European politics and, and the refugee issue. And he said, well, you should come and visit me at my office. I'm the Fulbright advisor here and you should think about Fulbright. Oh, snap. <laughs> yeah. So I was, um, I was studying international politics at Marquette. I hadn't really studied any German, hadn't really done any research in German politics or the refugee issue or crisis. I just remember him saying, I'm the Fulbright advisor. You should come visit me after Christmas break because this was in late November. He said, come visit me after break and tell me how many books you've read about this issue. And I okay. was... <laughs> Uh, you know, completely terrified and challenged. <laughs> and I totally didn't do any research that, that winter break. I was, uh, I can't remember what I was doing, but... Um, not reading books Not refugees. Not reading a ton of research on refugee integration and German identity politics. Uh, <laughs> but it was still on my mind and I kept it on my mind. So this was in 2015 that I met him. Yeah, I mean, I was busy with school, but going and, and applying for Fulbright after graduation in 2017 was my plan. And so the Fulbright application is really long. So um, in 2016, yeah. So that, that would have been the following fall is when I submitted my application. First to Marquette, had a nice little brainstorm session on how to improve my application before it got sent off to the National Fulbright office in New York. And then from October when I submitted it to New York until late April, I was just kind of waiting to hear. So it was late April that I found out that that I was offered the Fulbright. Wow, um, that's a it, long wait. It is a long wait. Yeah. Uh, the <laughs> was way there that, anything in between? Where the way? Yeah, the way that the process goes. You know, you you submit to the college if if you are um, affiliated with a college or university. Then it goes to the National Fulbright office in New York. Then they give it kind of a thumbs up or thumbs down and send it to the country that you're applying to. You're only allowed to apply for one country. The way that it worked with Germany, it's different for other countries, but with Germany, they let you write your top three Bundesländer or German federal states that you would like to be placed. And so Freiburg is in Baden-Württemberg. And so I put Baden-Württemberg at the top of my list. I put Nordrhein-Westfalen at second and then Bayern where Munich is. Um, and so, you know, I was hoping that I would get placed in a city like Freiburg. And I don't know if it, if um, the fact that I graduated from UW-Madison, where they have this sister city relationship, the relationship between the two universities as well. I don't know if that influenced their decision, but, but yeah, so my application went from New York, then to Germany. Then there was a ton of, I don't know, behind the scenes figuring out who is accepted and how they're placed. And do they, are there like interviews in this process or is it solely based on that giant application? Solely based on the application. Yikes, that's a lot of pressure. I feel like yeah. I always tell myself in the interview I was relying on that, <laughs> so that would be a real issue. <laughs> yeah, 
Um, applying through a university gives you the benefit because then you do have an interview with the Fulbright and whatever sort of Fulbright liaison. Perhaps. Yeah, sometimes <laughs> it's a committee of multiple professors, and so they sat down with me and looked at my application and corrected any you know grammatical errors and walked me through framing different parts of my application better. Um, and what does the application look like? Like what kinds of questions or like are there essays involved? Yeah, besides your standard biographical, you know, name, address stuff, there's really short answer questions, like five short answer questions that have to do with kind of summarizing what your personal statement is, summarizing what your mission statement or statement of purpose is, talking about how you deal with cross-cultural challenges and issues and how you plan on integrating yourself into the community where you're placed. There's a section where you write about previous study abroad experience. Then there's the two essays. So my application was specifically for the English teaching assistant program. And if you're interested in doing your own research project, then it's slightly different, but mostly the same. For mine, it was two essays, each one page, single space, personal statement, statement of purpose, and then all of the, you know, stuff about references and transcripts and things like that. All the good standards. Yeah. 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 All the standard practices. <laughs> so yeah, it was, um, it was a lot, but I mean, like a lot of grad school or big applications. Yeah, it's doable. So then I actually looked at Fulbright at one point and I found it to be really confusing because I wasn't quite clear on what it is. I've always heard of it and I know Fulbright is a way people can can go abroad and do productive things, all of which I was interested in at the time. And so I thought, hey, let me look into this. Mm -hmm. I got real confused. So I didn't actually know until I met you that, that you that there is an English assistant program. I thought it was more like, based on what I found on their website, I thought it was like you had to be working towards a thesis on a very specific research project or something like that so clear make it clear for me because i'm real confused <laughs> okay i will try because what i know best is the english teaching assistant program sure. which is one of i don't know maybe five different fulbright programs for americans to apply to and and go abroad there's i think the what most people think of that you may have been referring to is the research the u.s uh fulbright scholars program where if you have a research question that you can develop an achievable research plan and you you can develop the ties and affiliations with institutes or university research centers in Germany or in other countries in the world. And you can write that all up and get a Fulbright. You can do an independent an independent research project. I am not super into, like, I don't know. I did grad school and I enjoyed it, but I've never really narrowed my interest down to, to uh, a research question that I'm like, oh yeah, I could travel around the world and and go to this specific university in Germany and, and answer this question. Uh, that's just, yeah, not me, but... Um, that's what I was finding too. Was, yeah, it's, it's very specific. It's very academic. And it mm -hmm. seems like something you need to be pretty established to do. So that's where I got, was like, okay, and clicked yeah. away from that and didn't yeah. really look back. <laughs> I think that's the largest program is, is the Fulbright U.S. Scholars Program. Mm -hmm. Um, the English Teaching Assistant Program is separate, but very similar uh, in terms of the application process and, and the funding and everything. And Germany has, I think, 140 wow. English teaching assistants each year placed around the country. And then it's beyond that too, right? Yes. So it's anywhere in the world, essentially? Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure there are places that they don't send people, but yep, yeah. they, um, you can apply for China, Azerbaijan, mm -hmm. and tons of different places. Cool. Yeah. 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 So... 
Okay. Okay. Wow. Okay. So it clears it up a bit. Yeah. So there's this whole other oh, branch yeah. where you, you can just go do assistant teaching. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then they also have a program for um, aspiring journalists. There's a Fulbrighter in Freiburg named James who is doing the Fulbright journalism program. I really don't know anything about it. But it exists. There's another branch that goes that direction. Yeah. 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 I think there's like a Hillary Clinton media something related to Fulbright, but I, yeah, that was one of those things that I don't know anything about. There's probably an email about it somewhere, but it might've been deleted. Yeah. Yeah. So you get the word in April that you're put in Germany in general, or do you get your specific placement at that point? Late April was when I found out that I was offered the Fulbright for Germany. And I think a few days later, I got a letter saying Baden-Württemberg was the state that I was going to be placed in, but not the city or the school or schools. That's all information that I found or that I got in um, late June. Wow. Yeah. And when did you move over? So the program began like the first week of September, but um, actually came early August with my parents and my brother and traveled a couple weeks. And so I have relatives here in Germany that I was able to spend a week with after my brother and sister-in-law and parents took off back to the U.S. And then I was able to come down and spend another week kind of getting a lead on some housing opportunities. And then I went up to Cologne for the orientation. Okay, that was going to be my next question. Mm-hmm. Is like, are you just thrown to the wolves and you're like, great, you're going to go do this thing. Here's your yeah. city, figure it out. Or, or yeah. So what kind of training do they give you? Yeah, we have an orientation or we had an orientation. With, with all 140? With all 140 wow. English teaching assistants from the US. Fulbright works with an agency in Germany that kind of administers this English teaching assistant program. And it's called the PAD or PAD, the Pedagogische Austauschdienst or the Pedagogical uh, Exchange Service. They bring people from all over the world into Germany to um, work as teaching assistants for English, Spanish, Chinese. And so they had us spend, I think, three days all together, all 140 just of the Americans. We met with a teacher from the Bundesland where we are placed, and then we got some training. They gave us a nice thick book of classroom resources and sample teaching activities and things like that based on different levels of English ability, because some of us are placed at elementary schools, some of us are placed at trade schools for adults. I think it's a big benefit if you have teaching experience or if if you've studied a language in depth, but definitely studying to teach a language would be really helpful because, I mean, we had little workshops and, and group activities to kind of get ourselves geared up for being a teaching assistant. But man, I would have loved to come with a little bit more experience. <laughs> but I mean, uh, the job, it's its interesting. You're, you're not expected to be a fully accredited teacher. You know, you're, you're there to get the kids excited about English, um, have someone be someone in the classroom that they can ask questions to. Um, you can help them with homework, you know, give them insights into American culture and talk about music and movies that that you like and and just kind of represent the U.S. So you're not just there to be a professional teacher. Developing a lot of skills along this year, but I didn't really come into the program with any teaching experience. A little bit of English tutoring, which I definitely wrote in my application about, but I'm learning a lot being here and, and doing the job. So how long was the training? 
just a few days. A few it was days? like oh, three wow. days. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So. <laughs> and I remember kind of on the last day or second to last day, we presented this sample uh, lesson plan uh, in a group of I think four of us at different levels. So we split our class of 12 into three groups and each group kind of covered. Uh, this is beginning English. This is kind of intermediate. This is kind of advanced. And we got a lot of helpful tips and advice on, on how to structure, you know, structure, structuring a, a lesson is yeah. very important, especially yeah. here in Germany, I think. <laughs> oh, uh, I love that structure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I love the structure. And switching up activities so that, um, you know, the kids don't get really bored or, yeah, <laughs> or there's kind of, of those ruts. tune out. And then... And then when you're in the classroom, so the teacher, does the teacher come with the lessons or like, how is the balance there? Is the teacher at the front leading and you're just walking around correcting or how do you guys? I mean, you work with the teacher in and outside of the classroom to kind of talk about how you want to split up the work. Um, a lot of times the teacher will tell me, okay, we're going to be talking about this theme and I want to do these activities in the book. Do you want to take a part of that? Do you have anything that you want to add or do you have any activity where we could kind of take this information that I want them to learn? And and make it a little bit more active? Do you have any perspectives um, on this issue that you would like to share with the class? And I work with several different teachers um, too, so it really depends on the relationships that you build with them. Sometimes it is it is just like, okay, I'm gonna you know walk around while these pairs or groups are practicing this dialogue, kind of helping them with pronunciation and things like that. Do they learn British English in your class? Uh, Classes? Yeah, sometimes. I don't know how it is um, for all schools, but uh, one of the schools that I work at, I'm at two schools, actually. One of the schools that I'm at, the, the English lessons is kind of divided by country, by grade. So like seventh graders are learning about the United Kingdom. Eighth graders are learning about the United States. Ninth graders are learning about Australia. Uh, so sometimes we're talking specifically about England. And then I think the way that most English teachers who are German, they tend to speak with British accents. Sometimes it's, yeah, it's kind of funny being like, oh, we don't say at the weekends. Like we say yeah. on the weekends There's or some ones that They just sound math. so bad. Yeah. <laughs> it makes me cringe. Yeah. yeah there was one, oh, um, I was teaching my class the other day about moving. And um, mm -hmm. our textbook is British English. And it was, um, I hate moving house. And I was like... Oh gosh, moving out like that sounds, I don't know, <laughs> maybe old timey or just, I don't know. I thought it sounded totally weird and I didn't know uh, previous to that, that that was how they said it. And so, yeah. um, a lot of things like that will really just jump out to me and go, Oh wow. Okay. Okay. They yeah. are way more different than just adding a you in favorite. It's oh a yeah. Whole... <laughs> yeah. I, the one that gets me is have you got, and like, yeah, do yeah. you have just becomes have you got your pen have you got your mm -hmm. umbrella and yeah that just makes me yeah makes me laugh i a think a bit. lot of these things they sound mm -hmm. like bad grammar or yeah either bad or old-timey mm -hmm. um and then i feel like as soon as i hear it in a british accent i'm like oh no 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 it's right yeah yeah totally. that's it <laughs> <laughs> yeah so how's your um, how's your balance throughout the day? Like, are you in schools every day, like seven to five or something? You know, this was a shock when I or when I was reading through the program description that isn't really readily available on the Fulbright website. And I remember finding some guide from the German institution that coordinates the Fulbright English teaching assistant program in Germany, where I got a little bit more details on, on really what our work schedule may be like. And then it's spelled out later on once I got the acceptance. Uh, it's like you're expected to work 12 hours a week in the classroom. What? And yeah, yeah. That's real chill. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> 
And so I'm at two schools. And so my obligation is six hours a week at each school. And I definitely did a lot more classroom hopping in the first couple months of the school year. It took me a while to kind of get into a nice steady schedule, the nice relationships with the, the teachers that I, I kind of did a little um, little matching period where I'm like, okay, I really like this teacher's style. How can I politely back away from this other class? <laughs> and uh, yeah, so six hours in the classroom is kind of what I do. Do you meet school. often with them outside, the teachers outside of those hours? Yeah, yeah. But sometimes it's just, you know, we'll meet for lunch just an hour or so before the class. So sometimes I'll spend, you know, the whole day at school, but really only be in the classroom for four hours or two hours. It really depends. I do like to get to the school and use like their computer facilities and plan my lessons there. Um, yeah, definitely with teaching, there's a ratio of how many hours outside of the classroom go into mm -hmm. one hour of teaching. So I'm sure, I'm sure when it evens out, you're, you're hitting a bit above 12. But, yeah, yeah, um, But still, that's... I can't imagine you're hitting a 40-hour work week. No, yeah. And it's really, yeah. I mean, <laughs> Monday nice. Monday is like my big day where I get to school for third hour and uh, <laughs> and have two lessons back to back. And, and then I have two English clubs, one about American politics and one about American TV and film where we just watch whatever movies, segments of movies or full episodes of shows. And then I have another double lesson. That's... That's six hours right there, but I tend to not count the two that I that I do for the club because mm -hmm. it's it's kind of like if it's optional for the students, so I feel like it's kind of optional for me, and so I don't count that towards my my six for the week at that school. Do they did they ask you to do that, or is it expected of the Fulbright, or how did those the clubs come to be? Um, I'm not the first. Fulbright English teaching assistant at the school and they said that a couple years ago they had someone who had a couple clubs and they were great and they kind of encouraged me they didn't force me or anything but mm -hmm. I was like that sounds awesome yeah it sounds really cool especially mm -hmm. with American politics I mean so many Germans have so many opinions mm -hmm. about it and the information that they are basing their opinions on tends to be pretty different information than my friends and family back home so I always love talking American politics with Germans because it's it's just totally different and yeah. it really shapes how I even view things mm -hmm. you know you think maybe you'd march in and be like the, the expert on your own country's <laughs> politics but like oh, heck no, no. <laughs> heck no <laughs> yeah no the students are really well informed <laughs> oh yeah mm -hmm. uh, I think they're um pretty representative with Germans overall, but very, very well informed. Um, and so it's always kind of fun to to try and play the devil's advocate and then just get like torn apart. <laughs> yeah, I remember too. The, so the first time, one of the first classes I had um, where I was teaching English to a group of, they're between like 10 and 14 year olds um, in Germany. And my plan for that day had been to talk about something like fairly upbeat like thanksgiving was coming mm -hmm. up something like that or maybe it was halloween i think it was halloween and um i was going to talk about you know um where i come from there's mischief night the night before where you like throw toilet paper on people's houses wow so scandalous somehow they wanted to talk about 9-11 mm. and share their like 
their deep thoughts and theories. A lot of them sounded pretty conspiracy based to me. And I was like, what? And some of the things they were saying, they were like, well, they trained in Hamburg and then they flew around Texas and Florida. And I was like, oh my God, these kids were like crazy. Then I went home and looked it up later and I was like, no, they're totally right. Like (laughs) I just never learned this, like the history of the pilots or something. And I mean, they were well informed. Not all of their opinions about 9-11 were like fully, (laughs) fully there, but for that age group and um, to be that excited about it, you know, they had no interest in the, in the fun and games of trick or treating. They were like, yeah, yeah, (laughs) we know. But 9-11, though. <laughs> and yeah. I found that to be pretty representative of their interests. Cool. Yeah. Anytime, yeah. anytime you can talk about um, the very serious and, and horrid history of civil rights in America, they light up and they can't wait to talk about it. Yeah. And then I try to talk about like, so here's what Christmas lights are like. And they're like, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, I definitely feel you there. <laughs> yep. <laughs> And so, um, okay, so you've got your classes, you've got your clubs, and then are you connected to the other people in Baden-Württemberg for for Fulbright? Or, like, do you continue that relationship? Are there more trainings, or is this kind of hands-off after the first meeting? No, it's not hands-off after the first meeting. Actually, next week I'll be going up to Berlin. There's a mid-year conference where all of the Fulbrighters, so not not just the English teaching assistants in Germany, but also the scholars and the people doing the other Fulbright programs that I don't know about, um, <laughs> will all meet. And then not just Fulbrighters from the U.S. in Germany, but also other parts of Europe, uh, they will be there. And then also Fulbright's a two-way thing. Germans come to the U.S. through Fulbright as well to study. And so some of the alumni will be there. That's really cool. Yeah, this is going to be a big conference. Yeah. yeah I'm looking forward to it. And then about other Fulbrighters in, in Freiburg and in Baden-Württemberg, what's weird to me is that out of 140 English teaching assistants in Germany, uh, each year there are only two places in Baden-Württemberg. Wow. And I am in Freiburg and the other is in Kale, right across the river from Strasbourg, France. But there is a group of Fulbrighters studying doing research or the one guy I mentioned who is um, doing the journalism program who lives in Freiburg. And so sometimes we get together and and do dinner, play cards and things like that. That's really surprising. There's only two Mm -hmm. English teachers. Because Baden-Württemberg, for anyone not totally familiar with German states, I mean, that's it's big. I think it's the second biggest, if I'm not mistaken. It's large landmass like yeah. wise and also population wise. Uh, I remember doing some proportional math yeah. like when I found out that last year there were only two and this year there are also only two huh. places in Baden-Württemberg. I don't know. It's political yeah, some, some, yeah. in some way. Last year, though, the two were placed not in Freiburg and Kale, but in Lorach and Konstanz. So like very, uh, well, smaller cities. One way down south on the, basically on the Swiss border. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's a walk to Switzerland (laughs) from either of those. Yeah. Cool if you're into that, but like (laughs) really isolated from any other um, Fulbrighter in Germany. Yeah. And um, being a walk away from Switzerland sounds really cool until you look at how much things cost in Switzerland. Yeah. And then dealing with currency conversion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's not, it's it's very romantic and idyllic, except not very practical at all. Mm -hmm. So I could see that being pretty, um... A little isolating. And then how does it work with like finances and all that? Is this like a salaried job? Are you living the high life? Or is it like, you know, did they pay for your flight over? Do you pay for your your trip to Berlin? Things like that. Yeah. So I'm not making a ton of money. Uh, (laughs) It's like uh, here in Germany, for me, it's 850 euros a month um, paid directly from Baden-Württemberg. 
Uh, it's not that's not how it is for everybody. Sometimes Fulbright pays for it, but but it's always that amount. And post taxes. Well, um, that's the interesting part. The U.S. tax website told me um, because I'm an English teaching assistant, I'm I'm providing a service and getting paid for that for that service. So it's it's income for a job, and so that's taxable. Mm. Um, I'm pretty sure the way it works for those doing their independent research projects, that is not the case. Huh. Um, so that's a difference. Um, and they, then do you, do they provide like health insurance for you or anything? Yeah, yeah. That's nice. They, they provide health insurance. Fulbright covered the flight over here and they'll cover the flight back up to a certain amount, 1400 I'm going up to Berlin, I said, and, and they, I think they do like 50% off of a regular second class train ride. Yeah, I mean, having that 850 living allowance, I get by, um, but I also lucked out with housing, getting a really cheap room. Um, and so I kind of feel like I am living, like <laughs> I'm able to pay back student loan debt, um, oh, that's great. a little bit. Yeah. Uh, I got a pretty decent budget worked out, but it yeah. took some work. And, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Definitely. The cost of living is pretty superb. And I, I, I don't want to say Germany in general, cause I've only earned money in, in Baden-Württemberg, but in general, I mean, yeah, generally you can, groceries are a lot less expensive and yeah. Yeah. I found thing. that too. Walking mm-hmm. is possible. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> and um, free. And if you get affiliated with a university, that comes with um, certain benefits. So, and the, and um, Fulbright is one year? Yeah, the, the English Teaching Assistant Program is a 10-month program. Oh. September until the end of June is how it works in Germany. And I don't know if that's the case in other countries. Mm-hmm. But I think that the scholars, the researchers are doing kind of, they, they develop their own, this is their independent research project. So they have their own kind of timeline, but I think it is limited to a year. So you're, you said you're at the halfway point ish um are you looking to stay in germany after after this experience um yeah what's it looking like so i'm getting to the point where i'm looking at jobs in the u.s but i'm also looking at jobs in germany my plan isn't real set but my desire is definitely to spend a second year working as an english teaching assistant I do think when I go back to the States that I will want to be teaching German and hopefully English or English and hopefully German. You can reapply for a second year, but you're no longer a Fulbrighter. And so you're basically just with the pedagogical exchange service. And so my application is pending there, sent out. We'll see. I would love to get placed at one of the two schools that I'm at. If that comes through, I'll definitely take it. And then, yeah, looking at other um, teaching opportunities here in germany yeah so overall like with uh fulbright is that would you recommend it oh absolutely do you know how competitive it is the level of competitiveness varies country to country okay um i can tell you that with germany when i was kind of researching looking into the numbers which they post on the uh, fulbright website for each country germany takes in 140 english teaching assistants per year from the u.s and i think 400 or so apply so one in one in three odds i mean that's Um, really not bad i was expecting yeah germany's one of the you know um like i said there are a lot of English teaching assistants here in Germany. Not every country is like that. But yeah, then there are other countries that are more and less competitive. How much do you think your knowledge of German was a requirement or a desired skill? Or how do mm-hmm. you think that influenced or how do you think your background influenced the qualifications they were looking for? Yeah, it definitely helped. But 
at the same time, they specifically talked about their language requirements as being like intermediate. Mm. Uh, but then they also said that they prefer someone who majored in German or English. And so that was interesting, which I did not. I yeah. majored in international studies. But yeah, I definitely think that they want someone who has studied German, who can communicate with fellow teachers in German. So my German helped, but you don't have to be fluent or anything. Right. And, and again, it, it also varies by country. Cool. Well, before we round the corner to um, our final segment, any last words of wisdom or uh, takeaways from your time as a Fulbright scholar? I mean, I was super happy to get that acceptance, super excited to be planning things that I would be doing. I think it takes, though, um, a level of, of knowing that okay, if I get this, I'm going to kind of get into a, a routine in the place that I'm going. I think I was creating this ideal, like, oh, I'm going to be doing this amazing thing. I think understanding that it's not always going to be super awesome. It took me a little uh, time in the fall to get into meeting people and um, getting my bearings a little bit around town and socially and dealing with that, that um, heimweh, the, the homesickness a little bit. Definitely. Um, yeah, super happy to uh, have gotten the the chance to come here and yeah i would recommend it to anybody and you you push through yeah oh, tough, yeah 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 good so it's not a it's not a permanent state of being it's a right. part of the process right and i, I think i think that's going to be true for anyone making a big change like that it's definitely true though there's there, there's it's, it's like saying that you know I could walk to Switzerland. That idea we talked about earlier sounds so great. And then you think about it realistically and you're like, no, 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 this isn't, this isn't that amazing <laughs> travel novel that you read once as a teenager and got sold on living abroad or, you know, like yeah. there's, there's the struggles. It's real. Yeah. Um, but it's worth it. And it's given me um, a good chance to like get to know what bothers me and like kind of learn about myself a little bit. Being in a foreign country, being in another culture, being the odd man out in every classroom that I work in and, and kind of <laughs> having to like, yeah, this is like I am an American and like your British English is funny. Yeah. <laughs> Gosh darn it. <laughs> yeah. 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 Okay, well, cool. Let's um, let's round the corner then. Our final segment, Zach, 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 where I'm going to ask you three questions. It's a rapid fire round. Give me your right off the bat answer. Are okay. you ready? Okay, I'm ready. Okay. What is your favorite German snack food? Richer Sport. What is your favorite brand of German beer? Ooh, Waldhaus. And what is your favorite American TV show to share with people in Germany? Uh, Stranger Things. Ooh. Plot twist there. Yeah. I didn't see that coming. <laughs> I didn't think about it. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> then thank you for your, uh, for your sex, sex, sex. Thank you for your Fulbright insights. Thanks for, um, thanks for your visit to the expat cast. <laughs> thanks for having me. All right, folks, there you have it. As you heard at the end, Dane did apply to stay for a second year in Germany as an English teaching assistant. He has since been offered and accepted a job in Dresden. We all here in Freiburg, of course, will miss him dearly, but wish him nothing but the best in his next adventure. Thanks, as always, to Gordon Azenach, my partner in podcasting and in life. Thank you to SideHub for the theme music. You can find them on Instagram at a hub from the side. Thank you to Amy Lungi-Art for the fantastic logo. And thank you, listeners, for tagging along for this ride. Don't forget to go ahead and hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, on Stitcher, on wherever you're listening. Leave a rating, leave a review, let us know what you want more of. 
And you can find us as always on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at The Expat Cast. Next week on the show is part one of a double header. So I sit down with a couple who shortly after getting married decided to embark on a life abroad. So step one was Germany, step two is England, and step three is who knows. Up first, we'll sit down and talk to the husband, Alex, and get his perspective. Until then, Palazzo out.